Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Shoot, Mark and Sarah talk about shoot. Welcome to episode 150 of Mark Holy and shit. Sarah talk about songs. If you are a liberal arts major, you might appreciate that this is our sesquicentennial episode. <laughs> Uh, and I think that liberal arts majors will also appreciate what we're talking about today. Sarah, uh, as you might, as longtime listeners might realize, this is, of course, a an episode that ends in a zero. So it is an album ranking episode. But can you tell us which album we will be ranking? Yes, I can. Um, and talk about liberal arts majors. Oh, boy. We were all sophomores and none of us more so than the lead singer of 10,000 Maniacs, Natalie Merchant. Uh, we are ranking 10,000 Maniacs in my tribe. Uh, a very important album in my college life. Uh, we have been super excited to do this ranking for since months. the instant that we selected it, which really was months ago. Before we get into it, a uh, quick review of how this works. Um, we review the album in album order, and each song receives a point value uh, from 1 to 12. Uh, some of you may remember that there is a cover of Peace Train that was on the original pressing of this album. It has since been deleted. We are including it because we see you. We see you, Peace Train. Uh, so, for instance, if Peace Train was my number one song, that would get 12 points. If it were last, it would get one point, so on and so forth. Mark and I both rank them, and then you Patreon supporters have also voted and helped us rank these songs. We're going to put all of those numbers together. We're going to declare who um, is a maniac and who isn't. I don't know what the rubric who is, is but uh, who is utterly sane in the bad way. I suppose. Yes, um, well aware that what uh, they did was wrong, and just didn't care. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, just kidding. Um, so that's how that works. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to a ranking episode before, and for those of you who have, um, get excited. I I say this every time, but I I really have no idea how some of this is going to go. I feel like maybe I have a dim understanding of where Mark is going to come out on some of these based on the clips that he asked for. I am never wrong. I'm, I am never right, uh, but I am never <laughs> disappointed by what happens. So uh, shall we get into it? The only disclaimer I want to make is, I, I know I say this about a lot of the albums we rank, but I think perhaps more than truly any of the others, this is an album on which I feel there are no bad songs. I love this album almost beyond reason. And even the Immaculate Collection has Justify My Love. Even yeah. <laughs> Little Earthquakes has Me and a Gun, which is a song that, as we discussed, is just unrankable. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the Indigo Girl self-titled album has uh, Center Stage. But to me, this album is precious. It is a liberal diamond glistening in a tiara of women's studies oh diamond Uh, yes but i I think i also love it well beyond reason because i feel like a lot of these songs are at least lyrically bad but i i love them all like even the even the ones i ranked last are like 
it's really more of like a B minus. Yes. I hate this. And for me, I ended up having to choose one of the one of the factors that really impacted my rankings was is it a song that no one else, as far as I know, has ever written on the subject before or since? Like the the the, the weird specificity of the topics of these songs helped them yeah. move up the rankings. Uh, anyway, I think enough prelude though. We will get into all of this as we move on. Let's start with the very first track, which in so many ways uh, illustrates exactly what we're going to be talking about. This is What's the Matter Here? And we do have a clip, so let's just roll right on. If you don't sit in your chest, I'll take this bow from along my waist and don't you start oh so sarah i uh i have about a thousand pages of notes on this song but i would love to just hear your take first uh well like i said it is a bold start for this album but a smart one uh this is everything that people will either respond to or hate or both um about this album and what it is capital t trying very hard to do um this is the classic in my tribe pairing of a dark issue topic with this peppy, almost cartoon backgroundy music. Uh, there is a, like the guitar break on the bridge seems a little bit, I mean, we talk about this all the time, like how well does, how well does it work if you're contrasting cont- form and like function? Um, mm-hmm. And that, that guitar break on the bridge strikes me as a little um, inappropriate under the circumstances. Um, But I'm also struck by how perfect Natalie Merchant's voice is for this kind of material, Um, which is your sophomore cousin who is so annoying and humorless uh, at Thanksgiving dinner about plastic straws and saying she's thankful that nobody personally um, handed the first people's a smallpox blanket who's at the table and eating her tofurkey and being just the worst. And yet she's right. (laughs) Uh, And you're like, I too was this person and you will grow out of it. Um, Like the, numerous thanksgivings and it's just like who do we have any sophomores this year oh boy like (laughs) this is gonna be this is gonna be a long meal um but her that sort of packed timbre that natalie merchant has is perfect for this like if she had a breathy voice much of this album would be untenable right Um, 
but she doesn't. Uh, I, I really like this song musically. This is a little bit less of a sort of pinko eye roller lyrically than some of them. It's not saying much, but we'll take it. Uh, and it's an extremely smart place to start the album. Um, so yeah, I, I like the song a lot and I ranked it fourth. Great. And how many points is that for that oh, is nine, nine points. points? So it is absolutely understandable to me. If there is someone listening to this who hates this album, like I get it. This is a, this is an album created by a liberal scold. Yes. And I get it. If you hate it, I, but I love it so much, partly because of some of the things that you, Sarah just talked about for one, I think that it is the bright and sunny instrumentation that actually makes so much of the messaging of this album uh, engaging. Sure. Because if it were dirge-like, as some of her solo material would be in the 90s, it would mm. be unbearable. She has a song called River about River Phoenix that is not in any way leavened by... It's unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's. There's no leavening. Um, I do not I, accept it. I really like some of her solo material, but not no, that so do anyway. I, but yeah, there's a lot that you're like, eh. And I agree too about the quality of her voice. Um, she just has such a. It always sounds like that she's on the verge of crying or yelling, mm. but she's controlled enough to do neither, which I just think makes her music really uh, makes her singing really exciting, mm. and. You know, this is not the only song that was written in the 80s that was a hit that was about child abuse because Luca also existed. Yes, I was going to make that reference. Thank you. And I think that one of the things that makes What's the Matter Here so interesting is that she puts herself in the position of a confused and upset neighbor. And that feeling of helplessness is, I think, really potent. Like, She's saying, please just explain it to me. I do not get it. And I guess you've got the right to do it because this is your kid. But why are you abusing your child? Please make it make sense to me. And there's a certain like emotional need in that to make sense of how awful the world can be that I find pretty potent, honestly. And the reason that I selected the clip that I did, because this was one of mine that I chose, is that in that bridge, she then, for a moment, flips into the voice of the abusive parent. If you don't sit in your chair straight, I'll take this belt from around my waist. And I think that's such an interesting structural choice to, for a moment, take us into the world that she's been witnessing and forcing us to witness it, too. And I think it's so evocative and so effective. And It's worth noting that her narrator hears her screams and curses i hear them every day like the kid's not fed right but the narrator does not do anything the narrator is struggling with that but at the end of the day the narrator is like there is this i mean i think that makes it much more sophisticated and less sort of sophomoric and scoldy than some of the other songs that there is a much more gray area here Yes. About He's happening. your kid. I'll stay out of it. Yeah. But get this through that I don't approve of what you did to your own flesh and blood. It's like, that is, she's pointing at her own hypocrisy in a way. Mm, yeah. And I saw uh, a VH1 storyteller's performance that's still on YouTube of this song where she tells the story about the very family that inspired this song. And she cries while she's telling it. 
And it just underlines the fact that one of the reasons, too, that I connect to this music is that I know that Natalie Merchant fucking believes it. You know, like, she is not just telling us how to live. She is showing us how she lives, which is one of the reasons that as eye-rolling as it can be, it's like, okay, but you really do believe this, Natalie. Like, fine. (laughs) That's sort of why, like you were saying before, like, I understand why people hate this album. And, like, look, listeners, if you hate this album, there will be something for you in this episode because I will be shitting on a lot of it from the most loving respectful place yes in my where shit comes from in my heart i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> but like a lot of it is just like they're just these face palm moments but like there is no insincerity like part of what's hard about it is that it is very earnest and earned also um but there's no you know it's like, oh, come on, like, if you'd sort of made, a like, a joke about anything, she'd just be, like, blank, and you're like, well, this is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much time I want to spend with this. So, I I get it. But yeah. there is that, like, there's sort of no, like, um, downshifting out of this extremely, like, sincere and pained mode. Yes. So that can be a lot, but at the same time, I also respect that. And that is a very sort of like, you know, like the second or third year of college when you're really starting to see how shit is, and it's usually not in a good way, that having some fire about that is a, is a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, it brings it's really, me back. It really does. And it's making me think about the fact that at this time, she and uh, Natalie Merchant and Michael Stipe were very much publicly collaborating and rem has a lot of this same sentiment i feel but they diffuse it through uh obfuscation and ironic remove like we talked about when we ranked out of time that you could listen to losing my religion and never know it's a it's a love song really and natalie merchant and ten thousand maniacs never ever give you obfuscation they tell you what they're talking about at all times but they get into this sweet spot, which I know at this point we talked about a little bit, but because her lyrics for the most part always have something clever in them and because the music is pleasing and sophisticated and because the structure of her lyrics is interesting, they avoid the trap of some of the lefty songs we love to hate that we talked about like two mm-hmm. years ago, if you remember that. like yeah. They just live – they just somehow – this album hits that magic formula of being – completely earnest but but also quite delightful and for me what's the matter here uh really does encapsulate all of that and that is why i as well as the patrons put the song in first place hmm. so that is 12 points for me and 12 points from the patrons this may have been the only ones the one the patrons heard of <laughs> also well, <laughs> Well, you know, I feel like my my impression based on the comments that we got was that the people who knew this album knew this album. Oh, okay. And that there, this and like the weather, I think are the two songs that yeah, people that's right. know. Okay. But people who like this album really like this album, and people who don't like this album really don't like this album. Is my impression. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this about um, about this album is that. There is an unselfconsciousness 
to the scolding at least like mm-hmm. uh, i mean there is an obliqueness to rem lyrics that i think is also much more self-conscious um so um 10,000 maniacs kind of tracks in the other direction yeah as we're about to see all set on what's the matter here because i think we know what you know i'm good i think it's time now to uh talk about some beat poets of course are are you sure that it's about beat poetry because i'm not sure i got it from the (laughs) lyrics which have a reference every three fucking words let's hear a clip this is oh wait In case you didn't get that it was about the Beat Poets, the song is called Hey Jack Kerouac. That reference was to Allen Ginsberg, Howling at Night, which she really hits hard. Um, <laughs> this song is actually kind of a fun bop, but and I think it, when it came out, the sort of, like, not reverence for, but the sort of I'm not sure the beat poets were like the common knowledge that that they would be now. Mm-hmm. And um, for whatever you think of, um, of all those dudes, like what was Capote's line? That's not writing, it's typing. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I-, I liked On the Road, but he, he has a point. Um, the, but the song, like, earlier in the song, it does kind of feel like um, an anthem for people uh, in Al-Anon. Uh, there is sort of much, um, like, pearl clutching about the alcoholic and, you know, substance abusive proclivities of this merry, non-merry band of writers. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, like this is sort of the n- not as well executed, um, smugger version of what's the matter here. Uh, so I had this in eighth place. Oh shit! With five points, but like we said before, like there are—I mean, I have two clear songs that are absolutely my favorite, and all of the rest are like pr- sort of, you know. It's your it's your twenty year old cousin. Like you you love her. She's family. You'll give her two kidneys if she needs them. But my God, if she doesn't fucking shut up about the plastic island in the Pacific, you're gonna push her into traffic. Like this album is a relative, is what I'm saying. Yes. You got a couple. You got a couple relatives that are your favorites, and everyone else, it's like, well, your family. If you need a body buried, I'm here for you. But Jesus. Right. <laughs> so. 
I, um, in our previous episode, we talked about the book that I reviewed recently for The Blotter uh, in Decent Advances, in which Jack Kerouac figures prominently because he was oh. involved with a very high-profile murder case uh, in which a gay man murdered another gay man and then got away with it by fronting like he had been uh, seduced. And that actually became the subject of the film Kill Your Darlings. And I think it was also uh, the, the subject of a like song cycle by Kenneth someone. Oh, I'm sure. Lucian anyway. Carr was the guy who was the murderer. Um, yep. And he was friends with William Burroughs, who's also referenced in this song. He was friends with Allen Ginsberg. He was friends with Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac was unable to express his own sexuality. And so mm-hmm. they were all caught in the poisonous culture of homophobia in America at this time. And the didn't really know how to get out of it alive. Some of the, in fact, they killed someone and it's hard to really look back on them now with the same celebratory gaze. But Mm -hmm. one of the things I do appreciate about Hey Jack Kerouac is that I don't think that she knows exactly how she feels about them, or at least it's Mm -hmm. ambivalent because she will say things like when you were the brightest star, who were the shadows, uh, you've gone away without saying goodbye. Like, you know, it's um, it's an ambivalent look at some very influential literary figures. And let me just say right here, n- who else is going to be writing such a poppy song about the fucking beat poets? Literally no one. Yeah. I mean, it, like, musically, I really like the song much more than I do lyrically some of her pronunciations are a little much favorite okay (laughs) married down in mexico on all souls day yeah easy here's what happens to me every time that i marshal up a defense against this song i hear it and collapse before it i know that that guitar sound that it's just so good and i love the wail that she makes at the end that i've already mocked uh referenced not mocked actually love it the uh say yay yay and goodbye that part i love it sarah this is my number two i love it i love it okay and i'll tell you why it is because of the fact that every time i think i'm going to vote against it i listen to it and it completely sweeps me away it is an emotional response as much as anything and uh i can't i can't deny myself what i know to be true and that that is this song really gets me fired up and this is a song that let me assure you and we can change it to hey mark blankenship and it's hey mark blankenship oh my god (laughs) maybe i rate this too low knowing that shit well oh shit no i think the layering of references has more of an eye to quantity than quality or subtlety i'm leaving it where it is but i support you Fair enough. This is also just a song that I can remember driving around in my 1996 Chevy Cavalier with Mm. a stuffed fish in the back that I won from one of those claw machines (laughs) and blasting in the Atlanta summer as I was in college. The sun's going down. I have just such visceral memories of loving this that that's why I also put it so high. So that's 11 points for me, second place. The patrons put it in third place and gave it 10 points. Wow. There we go. Um, now we get to what is possibly the biggest hit track on this album. It's hard to... At this period, it's not like Because of the Night, which was 10,000 Maniacs' unquestioned biggest hit. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is an album that had a lot of college radio hits and sold millions of copies, but I don't know it was ever really a singles album. However, like the weather, which is track number three, was certainly very well known in its way. I don't think that we have a clip for it, though. Am I correct? Uh, we do not. Okay. So I love this song, of course, and it is the song of a really pissed off, depressed person who happens to have a lot of large vocabulary words at her disposal. <laughs> and I think that there is a, there is a certain amount of self-mocking uh, bathos in this song. I think she knows how ridiculous it is. Uh, and uh, t- I f- I, and, if, and if she doesn't, then I'm going to just assume, I'm going to pretend like she does because it is so camp in its morose self-pity that I love it for that reason. Uh, can uh, Do I need someone here to scold me or do I need someone who'll drag and pull me out of a four-poster dull torpor? Pulling downward. I mean, girl, it's a song about being too depressed to get out of bed, but you took it there. Amen, my literary sister. Yeah, I mean, it's a cutesy song about agoraphobia with, like, heritage moog fade out. Another peppy music versus heavy lyric battle, but... Um, and her vocalizations can be very childlike, which she doesn't go there often, but if she does, I feel like it's something that we need to pay attention to Mm -hmm. because she doesn't usually like just the way that she sings could easily go into this like cutesy falsetto. Um, but that's, that's not how it lands. Like you do hear it a few other times on this album. And I think that it's sort of a not a warning shot but when you hear it it's it's a sign that you need to be paying attention um i think this is the first 10,000 maniacs song that i knew and for that reason i was reluctant to buy the whole album until much later because i was like sick of this one mm. but i actually ranked it number 3 yeah i get it and so that is 10 points from you yeah and you know what even to even still, when it's a cold and rainy day outside, I will, of course, sing, What a cold and a rainy day. And Where on earth is the sun hid away? Hid yeah. away. So I put this in fourth place. I mean, let's mm-hmm. not front. It's not like yeah. I dropped it down low. And uh, this is second place from the patrons with 11 points. So okay. that's nine, nine from me, 10 from you, 11 from them. Well, and now, uh, yeah, prediction. Y'all, as a group, are just fucking shockingly wrong about Verity Cries, probably. But I guess we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get there in, in a few. Um, so, the next thing that uh, we have is a clip that I pulled from the song Cherry Tree, which, as far as I know, is literally the only song on a multi platinum album about illiteracy. <laughs> Unless yeah. there's a Tracy Chapman song I'm forgetting about. Here is a clip. Yeah, like this was in my notes as, quote, the illiteracy one, because I never remember that I'm like, cherry tree. Is that the guns one? Which one is that? Oh, the illiteracy one. Yeah. So here's a clip.
Uh, I think that we might feel very differently about this song. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. These lyrics are a condescending and annoying disaster. And I can sing every single one of them. And musically, I really love it. And it's very, like, I can picture this, like, public transit that this is happening on. Like, what color yes. the seats are. They're burnt orange, in case anyone's writing a book. Of course. Uh, like, I mean, like, the song is, <laughs> it's annoying, but it's good. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. This is this whole album. Where did you rank this one? I put it in fifth place, Sarah. Oh, okay. I really like it. I mean... I just think... That, oh, I, I like it so I much. I also really like it. The fact that it's 10th, like, I don't... It doesn't mean I don't like it. It just means I, it's Yes. 10th. I get it. So, I, I want to actually use this clip and this song as a way to make my final point about what's the matter here. You'll see why in a moment. In the clip that I played from What's the Matter Here, if you go back and listen to it again, because... It's not like you have anything better to do, right? Than just keep rewinding <laughs> through our episodes. Um, you'll notice that in the section I pulled, which is the bridge where she's at her most emotionally fraught, you can actually hear Natalie Merchant taking inhalations of breath. They're very ragged and they're very pronounced. And I think that has a lot to do with producer Peter Asher, who produced this whole album. And I think it's so telling that you can hear her breathing there. But in this song, where her point of view is much more timid and afraid uh, of exposure, you never hear her breathe in the song. Mm. And I have didn't really notice that until I was preparing for this episode. I'd never noticed it before, but it really struck me this time that there's something about the storytelling choice about when you do and do not hear Natalie Merchant breathe in this album that I find mm. very compelling. And oh, it's yeah. a layer I had never noticed before. Interesting. And I, my theory I like is that, note that a lot. whenever you hear her breathing, it's because she has decided that she doesn't care what people think about her. But when a character in a song is worried about being judged, you will not hear the breath. That's, that seems to be a consistent thing. I th- so like yeah, I think in the, in the case of Cherry Tree, you're dead on. Especially I don't know that because, it holds like, every time. but I don't it, love the characterization necessarily. It's like all those lines and circles, like we'll we'll get into some of her like the the beloved but also somewhat patronized subjects. <laughs> Poor Kalushi. <laughs> yes. But um yeah, but we'll we'll get into that later. But I I think that while this is not a like perfect sort of um putting of herself into the narrator's shoes or mind um, I think that what you're saying about the breathing and about um, her trying to like get into the character with that is right on. I also will agree with you. I do think that the line, I wouldn't need someone else's eyes to see what's in front of me. That's a nice line. But sure. for, the, for the large part of this song, lyrically, even the <laughs> – there is something about – I drove by a homeless person and decided to write a song about homelessness, which we'll also get to later. Mm. Uh, that to me is what's happening here. But again, like the plaintive quality of the singing, the music, it, it, this is a, a really good example of a song that if you felt like this song needed to be set alight and pushed out to see in a Viking funeral, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you I didn't understand, yeah. but I still like it. So yeah. Yeah. the, the patrons, however, less enthusiastic, they put it in 11th, place and gave it yeah, only two points well i added in 10th i get it yeah but again 
like you said, can I sing every word? Yes, I can. I sure can. Um, next, we have a song that I actually earlier today was talking to Andrew about The Painted Desert, which is the song that's next. And I was like, I think I'm going to rank this one pretty low. And the look on his face of <gasps> immediate judgment. He was like, you sing that song all the time. <laughs> you better just own it, honey tush. You sing that song all the time. And he's oh and I'm like, God. what? And he's like, yes, I, every single day I feel like you're saying the painted desert can wait till so. And you know what? He's right. Here's the thing. This song for me is in 10th place uh, because if only because I feel like it's working a little harder than some of the other songs musically. Like there's it's slightly more lugubrious. Uh, and uh, and yet, do I still know every word and do I still find it quite pleasing? Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you, but I found that I think a little more appealing than you did because my notes have like this ending is a little more raw and a little needier than these songs are usually mm. letting in. And it's also not hiding behind or not. Well, hiding behind is a little bit meaner than I feel. But some of the songs have a, like, they're a little stricter about, like, this is our topic for today, and we're staying right. on it. Um, and this is more abstract. Um, I, I will say that uh, until we were preparing this ranking, I thought the line was, the rains have ended and the balloons have gone. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, like, an extremely um, whimsical rendering even for her in on this album and i was like the balloons like and i'm just imagining these balloons drifting into cacti and then popping for 30 years this is what i thought it was i was like oh the blooms because desert fuck and i actually like the song slightly less and i'm just gonna keep singing balloons because i think it's more fun Uh, (laughs) this like because this is really the first song that's like a little more abstract and mm. um not as like issue focused uh it can take a little adjusting as you're making your way through the album but i had it ranked in the middle number 7 fair enough and i also think it's worth noting this is about as close as 10,000 maniacs ever gets and really natalie merchant solo too to a straightforward love song mm like, this is a song, I think, maybe it's about a relationship uh, that's not really working anymore. That's but like I, you said. I agree. I think it's like, she's getting ghosted by her long-distance relationship, and it's. I haven't heard a word from you since Phoenix or Tucson. Where the fuck are you? Yeah. But this, if this is as close as we get to a love song from them, isn't it interesting that when she's writing about illiteracy, she's incredibly straightforward, but when she's writing about heartbreak... She's a little bit more elliptical and talking possibly about balloons. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining her like on a mesa with a red balloon, like miles away. And she's like, I will watch it until it disappears. And she's there for like two days. Oh, God. Uh, and she also still has time while that balloon is flying away to diss on the cowboy gear that was made in Japan and yet is sold as being authentic. Uh-huh. Um, because that's that's perfect sophomore Thanksgiving. Oh my god, absolutely! <laughs> just like, uh, just um, so you know, a local artisan. <laughs> that American flag that you're wearing was sewn in a factory in India by children. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, wait, so you had this in seventh? You said I did. 
six points, and the patrons had it in eighth mm. with five points, and I had it again in tenth with three points. And now, I don't think that we have a clip for this one either, do we? It's Don't Talk. We do not. Okay, so, Sarah, what are your thoughts on Don't Talk? I will listen. Um, my notes read, quote, I'd drink to excess, too, if I had Miss Awareness Pants disapproving all over me all the goddamn time. Um, but then I didn't actually rank it that low. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I, I mean... I feel like this ended up on a lot of heartbreak mixtapes at my particular college sophomore year, maybe because like we we're just overrun with drunks, not accepting present company. Um, this seems like sort of a flatter version of songs that came before it. Mm. Um, I adore that guitar outro, but this, this could be shorter. It just seems a little bit, um, not extra in the way that we mean it in 2019, but just kind of, I mean, maybe, maybe a little that way. Um, it, it does do a good job reflecting that thing, like that charm and that hope and sometimes the, you know, potential genius that keeps you on the hook with addicted people. Mm-hmm. Um, but this song is just like it's not quite there like it needed another it, it needed another like couple hours on the stove to boil off some more of the impurities not not quite there for me i do like it again i can sing every word it has fun aspects to it given the topic but i had it at number 9 and i actually had it in number 8 at number 8 so i think we're in pretty much agreement one thing I will say, I, one of the reasons I ranked it slightly lower is that there are lots of songs on this topic, like you said. And yeah. I just feel like, you're right, it's almost six minutes long. It has a lot going for it. I actually think that the better version of this song is the live version from their Unplugged album. Yeah, because that is, yeah. This is a song that thrives when it has less musically going on underneath it, I think. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that would... I don't remember the unplugged version specifically, but uh, like I know I've consumed it and that would seem to strip off some of the stuff that I don't care for about it in this iteration. So, but one thing I do want to praise in this song is a lyric near the end where she says, don't talk. I was sleeping. Don't talk. Let me go on dreaming how your eyes, they glowed so fiercely. I can tell that you're inspired by the name that you just chose for me. Now, what was it? Oh, never mind it. And that distillation of being disgusted and exhausted by the abusive drunk in your home Mm. has always struck me as being very poignant and very honest. Like, I am so tired of your shit. I can't get out of my mind your cruel face, but I also don't have the energy to say back to you what you just called me. And like, that... That point in the dark ballet is, uh, I think, one that she captures quite well. So, again, like you said, can I sing every word? Yes. But at the end of the day, for me, too, this one is in the middle of the pack. Uh, The patrons put it at fourth place. Huh. And you said ninth? I did. Yeah. Okay. And the patrons had it at fourth. I had it in eighth. And now (laughs) we get to... 
I actually never had this on my album. Mm. By the time that I bought the CD, it had been erased. But this is where, <laughs> in the original pressings of In My Tribe, Peace Train came. A mm. The only cover on the album uh, by Cat Stevens, and in the most Natalie Merchant way ever, it was removed from later pressings because after Cat Stevens converted to Islam and changed his name to Yusuf Islam, he said that he felt that the fatwa against Salman Rushdie was justified, and therefore Natalie Merchant, in protest, stripped Peace Train off all American pressings of this album. <laughs> I don't know how to better explain the type of person we're talking about here yeah. than that. Like, yeah. <laughs> and yet, I mean, I don't know if you watched the video. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's not... It's so cheesy and dumb and good. Oh, I don't know. I They're like all it. like in a truck and there's like a hay bale and she has her like, you know, her, I don't believe in hairstyling hair and her dumb like hacky sack dancing and a giant like broomstick pleated skirt on like, okay. Yeah. It's like the most Natalie merchanty thing that ever happened. But I actually love the harmonies on this. I think it's much better than the original. Um, mm. Her reaction to it later is also the most mercilessly on brand thing yeah. <laughs> that ever happened <laughs> in pop music. Well said. I mean, I can't, like I want to be mad at it, but it's like that again. This is like your three-year-old cousin who keeps like walking into walls, so he wears a helmet in the house. Yeah. So I put it at number six. Now, for me, this was an easy last place because uh, it wasn't on the album that I knew. I didn't hear this song until the Napster era, and as far no. as I'm concerned, Napster. as far as I'm concerned, it's not canon, even though it was canon, and then I it wasn't by the time. I, so it's for me easy. I like it a lot. Of course, I think they did a good version of it, but for me, easy last place. And I'm sorry, I got so excited to say that that I tell me again what your ranking was. Uh, number six. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and the patrons put it in ninth place with four points. Wow, that seems high. So this, I think, is a perfect transitional moment for me to read to you a quote from a Rolling Stone interview that Natalie Merchant gave in the early 90s when she was on the cover of Rolling Stone. Mm. Really sit with the fact that Natalie Merchant was on the cover of Rolling Stone. This is how popular our favorite liberal scold became. Uh, this was during the Our Time in Eden uh, era when she was also singing at the uh, MTV Rock the Vote inaugural ball. Mm -hmm. Like, she was really a thing there for a, they were, they were really big stars for quite a while. So, this is a quote from that article in Rolling Stone. As she scans the menu at an elegant French restaurant with vegetarian friendly options, Natalie Merchant offers up a story as proof that she has indeed lightened up. I once said I'd never have a lover who ate meat, she announces. I sort of laid that down as the law. And I remember sitting across the table from this man I was living with years ago, and he ordered lamb, and I had to go into the bathroom and start crying because I just couldn't believe I was involved with someone who could eat lamb. She laughs. I certainly can sit across the table from someone who eats lamb now. The smell of it might put me off, but I don't feel like I can't trust that person anymore. <laughs> And although she says declaratively, my new project is not judging other people, everyone at the table orders fish just to be safe. <laughs> oh my god. I don't feel like I can't trust that person anymore. Yes, clearly light as a feather. 
comparatively. <laughs> I had to go into the bathroom and cry because my live-in boyfriend ordered lamb. I am surprised that she didn't just cry at the table. <laughs> like, egg up, girl. <laughs> I just... If you're going to make a humorless scene about someone ordering a baby animal, make a fucking scene. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like that... The f- light as a feather, like you said, girl, never change. No, Auntie Natalie, don't. never change. Never change. And that is a perfect segue into our next song, Gunshine. Oh, God. Which is the... I I have such a complex relationship to Gunshy. <laughs> it is a song in which she, it is based on her real life, I learned by reading in mm. preparation for this episode. Her brother went to join the army, and she felt that... That was a horrible thing to do. And she actually said in an interview I read, he didn't listen to any of the things I taught him. Okay. Okay. Uh, That's why he joined the army. So she sings a whole song about what a stupid idiot he is for joining the army. And, uh, for, and then, so this all, the whole premise of the song is that she's telling him that she thinks that he's a monster when he comes back mm -hmm. home for a break. And she says, I don't mean to spoil your homecoming, but baby, baby brother, brother. But you should expect me to. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Nat? You should expect, like, I am a killjoy. Yeah. You should expect me to fuck your shit up. Yeah, like, I'm just imagining this kid, this, like, corporal, at the end of their driveway, like, oh, fuck. Like, he can see <laughs> her through the screen door, and he's like, I should have just gone to Vegas. Why did I subject ah. myself to this shit? Oh, and then the very last lines of this song, I don't mean to hurt you by saying this again. They're so good at making soldiers, but they're not as good at making, making men. men. And she, saying it again, like she's been oh. telling him that. That is just such a... It's just it's just cunty. It's the only word for it, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So where'd you make this? I, and yet, and <laughs> oh, yet, no, no. I put it, even given all that at a relatively high, I think, ninth place okay. and gave it four points. Well. <laughs> because no one else would ever write this song. And I understand that this song is insufferable. And yet I take a perverse pleasure in that. I mean, it, like, Lyrically, this is either the apotheosis or the nadir of what she does on this album. Um, musically, it's not good enough to bail it out. So this was dead last for me. Number 12. Eh. Also Point. also dead last for the patrons. Yeah. Nope. Uh, I believe it was only Cat Hazard who cast a vote for this song. And she has a tendency to vote for the underdog. <laughs> now, next, though, oh, we, do, we do have a clip oh. for a song that... Literally, I, I, I know I keep saying this, but Sarah, I don't think any other band in the history of the world would record a song like My Sister Rose, except for 10,000 Maniacs. Um, I'm extremely interested to hear the rankings here. But first, not that I need a clip, because this shit has been in my head for two weeks. Here's a clip. My Sister Rose. Sure can. Yeah. Frosted town, sugar and flour for the couple. 
I mean, <laughs> look. Where do I start? Should I start with the list I literally made in my notes of all the things that Kalucci can't do? Yes, please. Okay. <clears throat> that Kalucci. He cannot descale a Keurig coffee machine. That Kalucci <laughs> cannot crochet. Remember where he put the Apple TV remote or speak French. That Kalucci also cannot reach the top shelf at Wegmans, fit into the tuxedo he wore to his prom, or perform adequate cunnilingus. That Kalucci cannot get cast on Family Feud, but at least he's got the Schuliadel down. Look, this song... That- you just you just it's like i just said can you in list form explain why i am so delighted to be your pod husband and you provided that to me like cut to kalucci struggling to reach like ginger snaps on the top shelf he's like excuse me because here's the thing i think the song is actually quite condescending to the ethnics uh like the Sons of Roma Hall, like it's extremely good detail, but it's all quite patronizing, I feel. Uh, meanwhile, her sister is being uh, like the song thinks it's being like, well, you're still my sister, even though you sold out by changing your name and staying home to have kids like easy, bitch. Like somewhere Holly <laughs> Merchant D'Agostino is like, you know what? Harry Pitts. Nobody asked you. Um <laughs> But it is an extremely catchy song. It gets stuck in my head. The detail is very good. I love that sort of like Zydeco yellow bird wedding band thing that's happening. Musically. Yes. It's and those just, backup vocals, the like old drunk uncles, Italian uncles being like, hey, de- like everything. Dances that she lives, like, with- I think she thinks she's like above it. But this is all shit that you can find at a wedding hall in South Philadelphia today so it's like uh, okay i i give up i submit to you and your sister rose fifth place eight points and i feel go with me on this i think in a way there is a certain punk rock swagger to putting a song like this on your album because you're like you know what fuck everyone we're gonna make a mambo song about a middle to working class italian family's wedding and fuck you honestly Mm. fuck all of you i'm gonna have an entire verse in there about colucci you don't know me don't come for me fuck y'all and so i appreciate that (laughs) not all rebels need to wear black it is bold it is bold for sure so I put it in sixth place uh, with seven points. <laughs> I'm, I'm so relieved that you weren't like, I put this in 14th place. Are you kidding? It's an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> and then the patrons had it in a tie for seventh place with six points. Colucci, we honor your one skit. It, it's just so funny that it's like, well, that Colucci, well, he can bake. Like, there's just something implied that it's like, if nothing else. <laughs> yes. He cannot adequately perform cunnilingus, as you said. The only thing that I wrote down, when when you mentioned that you were going to have that list to me, the only one that I could think of was, he cannot determine which uh, which side is, uh, he's something, but he cannot determine the true origin of the black and white cookie. Mm. That was all I had. Yeah. Broken bone fails to ache with oncoming rain. Come on, Colucci. That's a new one. And you can't even do it. But wedding cake, uh, you got us. 
Five tears, baby. Mm. Um, ne- now, I don't f- think I don't think we have a clip for this next song, right? We do not. Okay, so this is a campfire song, which joins oh. uh, Indigo Girls' "Kid Fears" as one of the alt albums of the '80s that features a surprise vocal cameo by Michael Stipe. It is a very earnest song even for this album about a the way that material greed is ruining the environment it is ironically <laughs> called a campfire song for that very reason uh she just reads for filth in her way all of the people who think that they can take and take from the earth without the earth uh eventually getting them back uh, Michael Stipe sings a very pretty bridge, but when you listen to the bridge, it's like, huh, his oldest pain and fear of life, there won't be time. I, she tries to like look into the soul of the people who destroy the earth yeah, for profit. it's like this uh, poison pen letter to a robber baron, and just as I was writing down, because I forgot Stipe was on this track, because, spoiler, I usually skip it because it's bad, Um that I was writing in my notes, like, this seems like it's trying really hard to be an R.E.M. song. And then, boom, there's Michael Stipe. And I was like, ooh, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> Where did you rank it? 11th. Oops, that's two points from Sister Rose. I mean, Sarah. Um. I at Colucci, he couldn't sing a very good bridge. I still think that this song is fun to sing along to. If I don't think about what it's saying too hard, I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, sure. I put it square in the middle. I put it in seventh place, uh, six points. And then it was the other song that tied with My Sister Rose for the patrons at seventh. So uh, okay. six points from them as well. And next, I believe we do have a clip for the next song, if we I'm not do. mistaken. Um, as a lead-in to what I fear is going to be a rumble between me and everyone, here is uh, City of Angels. like to hear your comments on this song um i feel that whatever you might say that is negative is correct (laughs) but i'm interested (laughs) to hear what you have to say well again though this is an album on which i have no songs that i truly dislike i put this in 11th place simply because something has to go there yeah and for me there are a lot of songs about homelessness. Uh, Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins comes to mind. Oh, dear. Well, uh, that's unfortunate. I feel, I feel like that this, yeah, this is better than that. This song is a little lugubrious to me. It's a little, like, kind of don't 
the way that Don't Talk is. Yeah. I I just feel like it is a song. Do I know every word? Of course. Can I get down with the part where she goes really glottal when she sings, Well, we are. Yes. I'm here for you, girl. It's just that, to me, this song, because it is the most like other songs in its subject matter, I think, of any other song in the album, is somehow the least memorable. I don't Hmm. dislike it, but it is just, it's the one that I always feel like, okay, five more minutes until Verity cries. It's kind of like a, yeah. I wouldn't skip it, but it's the only song I would consider skipping, so that's why I put it in 11th place. I... I felt that way about it for a long time. And then there came some like study session when it was on and I could not be bothered to get up and cross the room as we had to do back when God was a boy to change the track. And uh, so I just left it on. I was like, oh, this is actually a beautiful vocal. And Mm, that that clip that we just heard her just like throwing her voice up into that like desk ante range. And, um, there's something about like I think lyrically, even though it is slightly more opaque, um, it's also a closer match to its content orally, uh, and that makes it all work for me. And there is a um, there's a uh, hymnic mm-hmm. uh, way about the about the the music that I love um i I think this is pretty schmaltzy stuff but for whatever reason when she just like posts up in the chorus and is just like hollering i just i love it i think it's beautiful and this is my number two 11 nice yeah you know i also will say the late comer to this and i was like oh whatever like let's let's get to the real uh weepy shit here at the end but yeah it grew on me over decades and i will say that the fact that she says this is a rude awakening that was due to me yeah. meaning i was a naive idiot and now i see how much people suffer while i don't then you know what i'll give you that and the the vocal that she uses to express that awakening is appropriately forlorn and emotional. So, yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, her disillusionment is, as always, it's always present, but there's a little less, like, um, snotty moralizing than you get in mm. some of the songs. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's I mean, better. listen, again, never going to skip it. Uh, the, the patrons put it in 10th mm. place. And gave it three points. So, um, some very differing responses here on that one. Fine. Fair. Sure. But I feel like you and I are pretty closely aligned on our last song, Verity Cries. And I know that we do have a clip. We do. And here it is. Sing of a lover's fate Sealed by John's hate And wash my hands
there's that uh, <sighs> childlike vocal that I was talking about. Um, there are actually tears rolling down my face right now, but I'm going to work through the pain. I love this song. It, there is a Pavlovian um, rue response that uh, it brings out of me. Um, my college roommate, Estelle, made me buy this album and made me like open it, put it in, and skip to this song. And I had this response to it the very first time I heard it, which was like almost 30 years ago. I don't, I don't know what particular thing it is. I think it's all of the things, the, um, the simple arrangement, the idea that it is just snapshots and we're not being lectured on anything. We're just being shown Mm. an album that my sense of the story is that there are these two sorrowing people at this like pension, um, away from home, alone together at this beach resort like in the off season and she's taking his pastries and drawing in the sand uh this direct nostalgic like defeated sadness from which the rage has fallen away after this entire album also Mm. in which she has been like running the pissed off flag up the flagpole for 11 songs and now she's just exhausted uh i mean yeah and the delivery of the of the word aida just every single time is like plucking a nose hair that the tears just start uh that that it's like she's the piano and this this man and his sort of ghostly effect on her are the strings i mean it's really a beautiful piece of uh narrative craft i feel i saw her do this live once (gasps) Um, oh my god it was a pretty fratty crowd um but everybody like i think everybody who already knew the song sort of got all the white hats around them to chill and it was like watching a spell being cast it was amazing Mm. very affecting and not for nothing, but because of the time of year that it is, there's something about the beach imagery that put me in mind, at least this last time that I was listening to it, of the end of Longtime Companion, which, speaking of Pavlovian yeah. responses, why why were you all taken from us? Um, so, yeah, uh, this might be my favorite song in the world, but it's certainly my favorite song on this album. Clear, number one, not close. 12 points i'm sorry i talked for so long mark i'm not that was beautifully said oh um it reminds me that when i saw natalie merchant in concert uh when she was touring behind the tiger lily album oh yeah uh in chattanooga tennessee she scolded a person in the front row for singing along with incorrect lyrics which i thought was amazing scolded several times during that show she put the microphone out to the, to an audience member to sing the final line of her song "Jealousy," and the woman sang the lyrics incorrectly. And Natalie Merchant whipped her microphone back and went, "No." Wow. <laughs> she also complained oh, about gracious. a used. She complained about a used bookstore overcharging her for old National Geographic's in Chattanooga. It was awesome, oh, but weird. God. But she is there any situation she can't sour 
<laughs> I know. But the, the, the narrative beauty of this song is so perfectly described by you. Uh, I love the fact that she never meets this person. Yeah. She just, and yet he completely changes her life for those few days. She's drawing scenes from Aida on the beach. She's eating his pastries. She's learning the music that he loves. Like, it, what a beautiful portrait of how we affect people without realizing yeah. it. Yeah. And what an unusual type of love to depict. She has this love for this man in this situation, despite not knowing anything about him. And I just think that it is, uh, it's honestly, it's an astonishing song. And for a singer who is so very articulate, the fact that she, in the only instance in this album, resorts to syllables that are not words tells you how much she's feeling. Yeah. I think. Because she can't capture it exactly through words for the first time in the whole album. So she just sings la la la. And there are lyrical there are sort of word choices of individual words though that are uh advised in the extreme. Like that she oh, says no, I, climb and fall instead of rise. Yes. But then, well, I mean, I don't, no, no, I don't I think mean to say that she had, right. Yeah. I think that there, she does what she can, but that this emotion is there's only so far that she can travel with it with words, and then she goes to syllables. I think you're right, but she so perfectly sketches the things that she can explain to us. It's like you said earlier, she's just describing it. She's not, she's not editorializing about it so much as she's describing it. And then she just lets the the syllables take us the rest of the way there emotionally. Another thing that I think is such an interesting lyrical choice is gold from the breakfast yes. tray. I mean, there's so much. Like, I can picture the breakfast tray. Because she yes. has gold, I can picture the kind of breakfast tray. It's one that exactly. my parents actually own. <laughs> like, it's the, I, I picture it as having those, um, those ornate scroll handles on either side. Uh-huh. And... It's heavy, yeah. And I feel like each pastry is on an individual plate, and yeah. And also, I just love the idea of her stealing them from the hallway. Like, I, I just, oh god, I actually now think I've actually ranked this song too low. Um, <laughs> even though I put it in third place, I still think I ranked it too low. <laughs> no, uh, but gotta, I did put it. You've got to speak your truth. That's that's nice and high. But that's that's what happens when I, every time I hear the fucking music to Hey Jack Kerouac, yeah, though, is no, I just I, topple I before it. it. This happened to me a couple uh, times during this conversation. I'm like, shit, I think I... I mean, I do love this song, but like, someone's got to be ninth. That's just how it is. Yes, exactly. Well, so I put it in third and gave it ten points, and the patrons put it in fifth, which okay. I think is pretty solid. Yeah, we're not going to rumble. Everything's okay. And gave it eight points. So I will now say... Uh, well, I will now ask, are you ready for our for our rankings uh, our I final think results so. i think i'm emotionally okay. prepared in last place with a mere six points is Gunshy, <laughs> and i don't mean to rank you last uh, but angry song you should like expect me to am i right oh <laughs> shit uh next to last with 12 points is uh peace train <laughs> fair <Could> and <laughs> then and then in in anti-bronze i suppose with 13 points is cherry tree mm. fine 
And then I think it's worth mentioning that uh, our top four songs are all so clearly in the lead. Um, the middle song, the middle of the middle is Don't Talk with 18 points. And then you leap up to fourth place with Hey Jack Kerouac, which has 26 points. Whoa. It's an eight-point okay. difference. So then in third place, we have a tie with 30 points of Verdi Cries and Like the Weather. Oh. And then in first place with 33 points is What's the Matter Here? And I feel like if you were to try to explain to someone what this album was and you played them, What's the Matter Here? Hey Jack Kerouac, Like the Weather, and Verdi Cries. Oh, yeah. You've done a, you've done your job. Yeah. And don't well, let Colucci do it because among other things, no. he's bad at explaining shit like this. He 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 is he Colucci cannot make a co- uh, cogent exegesis. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, of course, it was a true delight to now be a maniac with you for this hour i i must say that i am a little i am a little sad that we no longer have this ahead of us i know i've been looking forward to it for so that long like andrew all, and i went uh, holidays must end as you know andrew and i were on vacation in australia way back in february <laughs> we already knew we were going to do this and we were listening to this album in australia and talking about it like it's been months that i've been oh waiting God. so it's been such a relief to finally get to talk about this album with you indeed Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. And as always, thank you for listening. Ooh, you must have been looking for me, sending smoke signals, pelicans circling, burning trash Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.